Hey everybody, uh, it's so good to be worshiping with you this weekend. We are continuing our message in the book of Revelation. I'm so excited, but before we get in there, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, you know, have you ever seen something and you're just kind of not sure what you're looking at? I mean, like you just look at it and you think you know what it is and you're kind of like, let me get my glasses. What is going on here? What is this? Wait, I don't even know. You know what I'm saying? Have you seen it? If you don't get what I'm saying, well, uh, let me just show you a couple of pictures here. Have you seen this? You've definitely seen this, right? This is the dress of a few years ago. Like, what do you see right now? Do you see a blue and a black dress or do you see a gold in a white dress. Uh, I'm telling you, the original uh, creator of this dress, it's definitely black and blue, but so many people see gold and white and people just don't know. So much so that, uh, you know, many people have lost friends over this argument. Married couples have sought out counseling. Um, it is uh, an internet sensation. The internet just loved how this image blew up. Uh, maybe you've seen some of these, maybe you haven't. Check out this next picture. Look at this young lady. What are you seeing here? Are you seeing her skinny legs? Look at how skinny her legs are. Uh, actually, it kind of looks like she's facing you with two really skinny legs, but that's just actually a stripe down her tracksuit pants. It's, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, how about this? Check this picture out. The ocean is gorgeous. Uh, at night, it's a little more difficult to see, but you can just imagine the crashing of the waves, the waves rolling in and out, in and out, right? Uh, but this isn't the ocean at all. What you're looking at is like the bottom of a car door, right? You're looking at it, you're like, that's not a, a car door. Actually, this is the ground. You're just seeing a bunch of dirt. This is a car door and somebody just flung their door open into a curb to leave a crack. That rust and, and that crashing, it just, it kind of looks beautiful, but uh, I hope that never happens to my car. Check, speaking of the ocean, check this out. Look at this girl. How is she holding her breath underwater? I mean, you're like, it's easy to hold your breath underwater because it's a still picture, right? Uh, actually, she's not underwater at all. Look at how dry her hair is. But there's something about the photo that makes you feel like she's underwater. Here, one more. And this is probably my favorite. Look at this cat, this poor cat. It, this cat is so full and so fluffy. It looks like this person has put their hands straight through the cat, but the cat's just leaning over the arm and the arm's right there in the middle. Actually, the hand doesn't concern me at all. It's what is this person getting ready to do with their finger? They gotta stop, get that off the screen. We gotta get away from here. We uh, are in the book of Revelation and we're just talking today about you know this, this amazing thing that we get to see that some people really just aren't quite sure what they're seeing. And like these images, none of these images were doctored. They weren't touched up in Photoshop. Uh, the images of what you were seeing were really there. They were there the whole time. You just weren't quite sure what you were looking at. And the same is actually true for a lot of people when it comes to Jesus. You know, today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday weekend. And, and we're celebrating that moment when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Uh, he was surrounded by people who thought they knew who he was. They thought they knew what they were seeing, but, but they were really only seeing a version of Jesus. You know, Palm Sunday, it, it actually marks the start of what we call Passion Week or Holy Week. 
uh, the, the seven last days of Jesus' earthly ministry. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were traveling together and, and he actually sent two of his disciples ahead to a village called Bethphage. And uh, he says, when you go there, you're going to find a donkey. Uh, some translations say a colt. It's a small horse. And he says, I want you to go and get it and bring it to me. And if anybody questions what you're doing and why you're doing it, just tell them these words. The Lord needs it. Uh, I can't even imagine that. I mean, it feels a little weird, yet, yet uh, uh, quite a bit empowering. And these guys are just like, all right, I guess we're going to go steal a donkey for Jesus. And so they made their way into town. They started untying the donkey. And the owner said, what are you doing untying my animal? And these guys used these exact words that Jesus told them to use. The Lord needs it. And and I'm telling you, uh, it doesn't say here in Scripture that the owner was cool with it. It doesn't say that he was even frustrated with it, but he clearly lets them have the donkey and they go. They brought the donkey back. They used their cloaks to, to create a saddle. The, the disciples helped Jesus get up on this donkey and there he was, Jesus, with, with his entourage, with this single animal motorcade heading into Holy Week. This isn't as impressive as a lot of people would have hoped for when the King of Kings was coming into town for this celebration. You know, a lot of people, they may have been taking a double take, not sure what they were seeing when they were looking at Jesus. They were looking at the King, all the things that they had heard, all the things that they had seen, uh, with all the things that they were expecting. And here was this King on a donkey. Some people may have been like this. Look at King Jesus riding on a donkey? Are you kidding me? When in reality, it was King Jesus riding in town on a donkey. And as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, we read this in Matthew chapter 21. A very large crowd, they spread their clothes on the ground and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, now wherever you are, can we just read this together? Let's shout this together. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It would have been fantastic. It should give you goosebumps thinking of the crowds just shouting and screaming this amazing praise. You know, the crowds that were with him, they thought Jesus was the Messiah. They were sure he was the Messiah, but the picture that they had of the Messiah was different than the Messiah that Jesus actually was. You know, they were waiting on a Messiah. They had uh, expectations of a Messiah through their theology, from their Bible classes, uh, throughout their culture. They had some preconceived notions because of the way that they were reading Scripture. Uh, what they were expecting was a warrior. The, they were expecting some political leader to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted somebody to provide freedom on their terms, someone to restore their kingdom. They weren't really looking for God to come and establish his kingdom. You know, they felt like they knew who Jesus was, but they didn't really see who he is. You know, you and I, we must see Jesus for who he is, uh, not who we imagine him to be. Uh, people who ended up worshiping a version of Jesus, they, they found themselves in a very dangerous place, just like we do today. Because the crowds who were shouting Hosanna, the crowd that was worshiping him, uh, on Palm Sunday were the same people shouting out crucify him just a few days later. You know, the crowds, 
The crowds couldn't see who Jesus is because they thought they knew who Jesus was. You might want to write this down. I think this is a great catch for us. The way that we see Jesus impacts the way that we worship Jesus. Jesus is always worthy of our worship. And actually, that's at the center of our passage today. As we, as we jump into Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, you might want to make your way there. Revelation, it starts out with this epic moment for John on the island of Patmos. And, and his epic moment is actually good news for us. You know, Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 says that a loud voice came to John. I mean, this voice was loud and sounded like a trumpet. And it said, write in a book the things that you see and send it to the seven churches. This means that this vision that was given to John just, it wasn't only for John, it's actually also for us as well. And the point of writing it down is to transmit it to us, to the church, so that you and I can have this same kind of experience, not in the same way, but that we can experience what John experienced. And by the way, it is not easy to, to write out what you see. It's very easy to write out what somebody says. I mean, you're taking notes, you can see these words, you can write it down, but when somebody asks you to write out, to draw, or even describe what it is that you see, it, it can be very difficult. Uh, if you don't know what I'm meaning, check out this clip. Now this just in, police uh, officers in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, were asking people to be on the lookout for a man who robbed a store. And I think, yeah, I think we do, we do have his description. Can we take that? Let's take his description. That's crazy, right? I mean, like, you and I, we can write down words, but it is so hard to put a picture to what we see. I mean, some people, I mean, by the way, don't even waste your time Googling this image of Jesus. I did it, and it's pathetic. There was nothing brilliant. There was nothing awesome. It, it was reduced to... Uh, just a sad version of what's really happening here in the book of Revelation. So the voice he hears, he says, write down what you see. So he has to write down everything, everything that he has never seen before. I mean, at least not in this way. He has not seen any of these things in this manner, and it is so awesome and glorious. And, and uh, here's just a cool thought as we're jumping into this. God gave the message to Jesus, and Jesus gave the message to the angel. The angel gave the message to John, and John gave the message to the church. So John gets the vision, but you and I get the book. Like, we have scripture. We have access to, to all of these amazing, wonderful, glorious things that have happened. You know, Jesus, actually, he could have appeared to the seven churches himself, but he chose not to. He chose to speak to the church through his word. John gets the vision. We get the word. Uh, do you want to know what Jesus is like? And do you want to know what Jesus likes? You jump into the word, just like we're going to do right now. Let me just read our whole passage for today. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head, it was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth, and, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. 
Can you imagine this? This, this glorious picture, I mean, all of these things point to the fact that Jesus is God. Jesus has been exalted to the highest place, and this is where all of this is coming from. So let's, uh, we just want to jump into this verse by verse. If you're taking notes, hopefully furiously, you're going to write some of these things down. From Revelation 1, just 12 and 13, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now just real quick, uh, we aren't going to get into what Pastor Quentin is going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. He's going to talk about the stars and he's going to talk about the golden lampstands. But if we fast forward to verse 20, we can clearly see it's explained to us that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches and the stars are the angels. It's so you, uh, you can see that as you jump ahead a little bit. So maybe just, just make a little note. We'll keep reading. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe uh, with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. I love this. Among the golden lampstands. Uh, so the lampstands are the seven churches, but among them is one like the Son of Man. I, I absolutely love this. Notice where Jesus is standing, uh, where he is in regard to the lampstand, which, which is the church, right? I mean, it doesn't say that he's merely over the churches. It doesn't say that, that he's distant from the churches. Like John sees in this vision, Jesus is among the churches. He's with the churches. He's in the middle of them. He's near. He's not far. He's right there. You know, they're, they're among. And when John saw this, he saw one like the Son of Man. And maybe you know this, but... Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite titles. He loved to, to call himself Son of Man and to be recognized uh, as Son of Man. And this actually refers to a lot more than his humanity. This is actually a, a call back from uh, Daniel chapter 7. John is recalling prophecy of old. In Daniel, the term Son of Man or one like the Son of Man refers to a great ruler. This, this title, it not only refers to the humanity of Jesus, but there's a much deeper meaning of his power and of his authority. And here he is, in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his authority, he's standing among the churches, dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his chest. And, and the word that's translated for, for robe here, or some translations say robe reaching to his feet, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, it almost always refers to the robe of a high priest. And Jesus is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. Uh, Jesus is our high priest. When you think about that priestly robe, he's pure. Jesus is holy. Jesus is set apart. He's the one who stands in the gap. He, he intercedes for us to our heavenly father. That's, that's part of what Jesus does. And some scholars say that, that maybe the robe kind of uh, reflects his royalty, uh, and that could be true. And, and even other scholars say that maybe the robe and the sash represent some sort of prophet. And I'll tell you this, one thing that we can all agree on is that this picture of Jesus, it inspires confidence, it inspires respect, all in worship in the eyes of John, and also for us. Look at verse 14. The hair of his head, it was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. Jesus has never been compared to anything sinful. That's why you can now know that snow is from God, right? Okay, I'm just messing with you. I know some of you in the Midwest, you don't like snow. I love it. 
but the, the white wool of his hair, the white as snow, the color of his hair, these, these are signs pointing to his purity, pointing to his power. In fact, we read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31, scripture says this, some translations say white hair, others say gray hair, but that white hair is a crown of glory. So that, that white hair is not just a, a symbol of purity, it's a symbol of royalty and glory in this, in this image that John is getting. But more than that, John is sharing that the things that he's seeing in Jesus are in likeness, again, with Daniel chapter 7, describing the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is one of the names of God the Father. The things that Daniel saw are, are similar to the things that John is seeing. You know, this, this shouldn't surprise us at all because Jesus says in John chapter 14, if, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus is a reflection of God the Father. And then we see his eyes are like fiery flame. They're not cloudy. His eyes are not heavy. They're brilliant and his eyes are raging. You know, we all know that droopy eyes, come on, wake up. Uh, if, if that was you that I just started a little bit, your eyes may have been droopy. Like droopy eyes, they go to sleep. Uh, uh, what, what he sees is nothing like that. In fact, have you ever eaten like hot peppers and then you just kind of rubbed your eyes a little bit and they just started burning? Like it was nothing like that, but the feeling of just being alert and awake and wide-eyed and, and just so much energy right there. Like, like that's what's happening. Wide open eyes of judgment, eyes that are brilliant. They're awake, they're active, they're alert. Jesus' eyes were, were like a flaming fire. And, and what we see then is hair as white as snow and, and eyes like fire, meaning such wisdom and maturity, just like the ancient of days that we see in Daniel chapter seven. Together, all of this energy and vitality and, and even the zeal of youth in his maturity and age. Uh, one more time, let me just try something a little different. How about you husbands out there? Any husbands, those of us who have been married? Like, do you remember standing at the altar? Do you remember waiting for your bride. Your eyes weren't droopy. Uh, I hope they weren't sad. I hope that they were wide open, that you were filled with eager anticipation, that, that you were full of hope. You were a groom coming out of the chamber with strength and with hope, eagerly awaiting your bride. You, you know, in that moment, you were kind of judging your wife, right? You were, you were noticing everything about her her beauty, her, her charm. Uh, you were noticing her elegance and her radiance. And by the way, you were kind of judging everybody else. You were saying, nobody else is for me, except for my bride. Revelation 15, look at this. His feet were like fine bronze and is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. His feet signify uh, not only glory and strength, but there's a, a warning of potential judgment there. And Jesus is not only the giver of life, I don't know if you know this, but he's also the final judge. You have a birthday, right? Just shout out your birthday, wherever you are. So that means you were born. <laughs> we have all been given life. But the other end, when, when we leave this earth, there's going to be eventually, one day, a final judgment. And, and your final judgment will rest on your relationship 
with who you say Jesus is in your life. He's not only the giver of life, he's the final judge. And the idea of his voice being like cascading waters, just the sounds, we already know that the sound is loud like a trumpet and now it's loud like cascading waters. Can you imagine, can you imagine just for a second being that close to raging waters? I'm just gonna give you like, I don't know, 10 seconds to just, to just kind of enjoy this. Listen, listen to the, this, it's a, it's a brief clip from Niagara Falls. All of the power and all of the strength behind those raging, rushing waters, and yet at the same time, so calming, so, so incredibly wonderful and soothing. Verse 16, he had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Man, uh, the right hand throughout scripture, it symbolizes power and authority. And as mentioned earlier in verse 20, you can see that the, the stars in his hand are the angels. Like he, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's no angel more powerful than him. There's certainly no person or thing in his right hand. That's my left hand. In my right hand, he has all the power and yet he's got so much more. The words of scripture coming out of his mouth. Can you imagine that double-edged sword? It's kind of, some say, just this grotesque image. And one day when, when Jesus uses that double-edged sword to judge the nations, it, it's going to be a terrifying sight. But we take comfort in knowing that that double-edged sword is the word. You know, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of souls and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge and uh, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. One day Jesus will judge. His word is true. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is true and scripture coming from him. Powerful and true. And his face his face was shining like the sun at full strength. How glorious, how, how amazing that would be. See, what John is seeing is the glory of the exalted Christ. Uh, Jesus is now exalted in, in all power and in great glory. And this vision that John has had, the, the whole vision that we just talked about was so overwhelming and it was so incredibly powerful that the next verse actually states that John fell to the ground as if he was a dead man. Now it didn't kill him, but it stunned him and he dropped to the ground in reverence, in shock, in awe, in worship. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then he reminds him to keep writing. Hey, keep, keep writing. Write everything that you have seen, everything that you are seeing. You see, this is really important because John is living in a crazy world. Uh, some of the churches, they were, they were careless. The churches that he was writing to, they, they were becoming tolerant. Some churches were lukewarm. This picture of Jesus was a wake-up call to the churches. And actually, a, a wake-up call for people to get right, a wake-up call for people who once followed Jesus, who once went to church, to come back and to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. It's, it's actually not unlike the world that you and I are living in today. You know, 
Some of us may actually be feeling overwhelmed a little bit as we imagine all that is happening in the text. Some of us are extremely curious. Some of us hopefully are just standing in awe and wonder because so much that we're seeing here being described in Revelation chapter one is something that maybe we're not familiar with, but we're so like struck and in awe by. You know, we're familiar with baby Jesus, right? I mean, we love baby Jesus because, because Jesus in a manger seems safe, manageable. I mean, babies are, for the most part, they're, they're kind of nice, right? Jesus riding into Jerusalem, he seems like a nice guy. Riding up there on a donkey, I mean, he's, he's, he's nice, he's, he's safe. But when we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, he doesn't, he doesn't really feel safe, does he? Jesus... He didn't come to earth to be safe. Jesus came to earth to save. Safe baby Jesus, meek, riding on a donkey, Palm Sunday Jesus, and the Jesus that we see here in Revelation chapter one, that's the same person. That is the same person. Jesus, as our king, feels, feels dangerous, far too dangerous for, for the safe Jesus some of us have, have been following. And the reason he feels dangerous, uh, maybe is because some of us have been wanting the benefits of following Christ with, without the sacrifice. Some of us have been going to church thinking, you know what, I, I want a savior, but I don't really want a king. Uh, I want eternity, but I don't want accountability. Uh, too, too many people want God's promise, but they want it tethered with their preferences. Far too many people want Jesus as a consultant, but not a king. A consultant is all about reorganization, but King Jesus is about transformation. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. I'm just gonna read this to you. Maybe close your eyes as you imagine what's happening here in the text. Revelation 19 shares a similar description of Jesus as we see in chapter one, and here's the word of the Lord. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and true. He, he judges and makes war and justice. His eyes were like fiery flame and, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that, that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. Verse 16, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Friends, any other king is a counterfeit king. There is no other. You know, C.S. Lewis' uh, book, you're familiar with probably, uh, it's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it tells uh, of this adventure of four children in this magical kingdom of Narnia. And the story is fun, but, but it's also what we would call an allegory of Jesus and salvation, with Jesus represented by the lion Aslan. 
And then in Narnia, the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver who, who describe the, the mighty lion to them. And let me just read this to you. Is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan? A man? Said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is is he quite safe? I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus, he's absolutely not safe. There, there is not a healthy, safe version of Jesus. Jesus just is who he is in all of his meekness, power under control and all of his glory, power and authority. Jesus is king. And so many have a, a nice, safe Palm Sunday picture of Jesus. But what if Jesus isn't who you think he is? What if he's so much more? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be our king, to be our rescuer, to be our Lord. God, continue to reveal Jesus to us through your word, through, through brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow us up, encourage us, sharpen us, help us be more like you and help us run away from a, a safe, simple, nice version of Jesus and help us embrace the real Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. One last thing. I'm so glad you joined us uh, this weekend. And I just want to say next weekend for Easter, I hope that you are praying for the opportunity to invite somebody. Uh, Easter and Christmas are the times of year when people are most likely to give you a yes when you send out an invitation. So I hope to see you next week and uh, I hope you'd bring a friend. Love you guys.